You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. Okay, let's get going. On 21 July, the Prime Minister announced a number of important changes to the government's economic support measures introduced in March in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. These included changes to the JobKeeper and JobSeeker schemes that could impact members and their employers. I'm Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss these important changes with me is both Kim Guest I'm Tim Sanderson, Senior Managers of the First Tech Team. G'day, Tim and Kim. Hi. Hi, Craig. Hi, Kim. Hi, Craig. Hi, Tim. How are you going? Now, um, going well. we're going to jump in first to the actual uh, early release scheme. Now, that's been running for a while, so that was set up to allow people to access $10,000 uh, in the period between the announcement up to 30 June, where you met the eligibility criteria, um, and then another $10,000 between the 1st of July and 24 September. Now, Kim, they've actually made a change to this scheme, haven't they? Yeah, they have. So they've um, actually extended the period of time that people have to be able to get that second amount of $10,000 to be able to apply to get that amount um, taken out of super. So it was going to run from the 1st of July to the 24th of September, and now they've just extended that time period to the 31st of December. So it's not an additional amount of money, it's just more time that they are able to um, apply to the super fund to get that $10,000. Right, yeah, so that's quite important, isn't it? So it's not giving us an extra um, uh, opportunity to take out a total of $30,000. It's still $20,000 in total in two mm-hmm. different tranches. But people will have up until uh, the end of December. I actually think that's probably quite important. I think um, there's one way you could look at that and think that that might result in more people taking money out. But uh, counterintuitive to that, there's potentially there that could result in less people accessing the money because I think if we were having that deadline set at 24 September and the, the COVID pan, COVID-19 pandemic is still very live at that time, we, you know, we're seeing a, a second wave coming through in, in Victoria, um, potentially people might have taken that $10,000 just in case something happened. Whereas extending it out to the end of December gives people that a bit extra time so they won't necessarily withdraw those monies on the off chance that potentially they lose their job or, or something along those lines. So quite an important announcement. Now, the other change here, so there were two main changes announced uh, on the 21st of July. So we had changes to both the job keeper and the job seeker schemes. Now, Tim, I'm going to talk to you first about the job changes to the job keeper. Now, first of all, um, job keeper, can you give me a very high level summary of what those changes originally came in, what they did, so we can understand um, these changes that were announced uh, last Tuesday? 
Yeah, sure. So um, the original JobKeeper payment it was essentially a wage subsidy of a set amount, $1,500 per fortnight, um, that started on 30 March and ran for or runs for 13 fortnights. Um, so it was available to businesses who could demonstrate that their turnover had reduced by at least a certain amount, and that's a, a 30% reduction for most mm -hmm. businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, it was payable only for eligible employees and there's a range of eligibility requirements and the employer had to pay the employee at least $1,500 in order to qualify. Um, they were then paid monthly in arrears by the ATO. And that, that resulted, um, and, yeah, and that resulted yeah. some odd outcomes, didn't it? We, we could potentially have part-time employees that were eligible that were actually going to get a pay rise out of this, this scheme. That's, that's right. So if you were previously earning you know, $1,000 per fortnight and the employer wanted to qualify for JobKeeper, it would have to increase your your wages to 1500 per fortnight, so a $500 pay increase. Now, they have announced, as I said, some, some quite important changes to the scheme. I think one of them involves extending the period um, that JobKeeper will run, um, as well as some changes to the actual amount of payment coming through. So I think the first change kicks off starting the 28th of September, now, that's the first phase. Do you want to run through what that phase one change involves? Sure. So with phase one, um, and I guess it's important to mention at the moment, these these changes have not yet been legislated. Mm -hmm. But what, what the government has announced is um, essentially a two-phase, two two-tiered system. So phase one will start from the 28th of September, the, the day after original job keeper ends, um, and it will involve eligible businesses and not-for-profits receiving $1,200 per fortnight for each, you know, essentially full-time eligible employee. Um, and that's one who works 20 or more hours per week. Um, so that's a reduction of $300. And in terms of when that 20 hours is measured, it's not measured in September. It's actually measured on the average of the four weeks of pay periods before the 1st of March. So going back to February. Right. Okay. So that's that's $1,200 per fortnight. So if you had... That, that's for essentially full-time Right. So uh, yeah. Employees. So if you were someone that did qualify for that 20 hours a week, then you're going to see your JobKeeper payment. Now... Um, it's interesting here, isn't it? If, if you're someone that's earning more than that, the employer's still going to receive JobKeeper for you, but you wouldn't necessarily see any change to your take-home pay um, because this works like a, a, a wage subsidy. But the employer, instead of getting $1,500 for you, is now only going to get $1,200 for you. Exactly, yeah. Yep. And, and then... Uh, sorry, and the, sorry, I, I suppose the other thing that's important there is... Um, if you've actually been fully stood down but still eligible because the 1st of March you did satisfy this 20-hour requirement, actually that's when you would actually see a reduction in your take-home pay because if the, if the employer is just paying you JobKeeper that they're getting from the government, then you're going to see your take-home pay potentially, depending on what the employer wants to do, go from $1,500 a fortnight down to $1,200 a fortnight. That's right, yeah. Right, okay. And what happens if um, I don't get that, or if I didn't meet that 20 hours a week requirement? That's right. So this is where the two-tiered system comes oh, okay. in. So for everyone else, um, part-time employees, for example, the JobKeeper rate will be $750 per fortnight. So an essential halving of the JobKeeper subsidy. 
Right. Okay. So that's um, that's probably addressing that situation we talked about before. Yeah, where you might have someone that was working part time, maybe one or two days a week, uh, and maybe was receiving, let's say, five hundred dollars a fortnight. All of a sudden, they've just gone bonanza. I'm getting fifteen hundred bucks a fortnight because my employer is paying, uh, is applying for JobKeeper on my behalf. I actually have to pay, or the employer has to pay the full amount of $1,500 to me to be eligible to receive JobKeeper. So I've seen my pay go from $500 a fortnight up to $1,500. But now, because of those types of situations, if you're really only someone that was working one or two days a week during that eligibility period, you're going to see your your pay drop all the way back from uh, $1,500 um, back to actually potentially the amount of uh, pay for the amount of work you were doing or maybe a little bit more if if JobKeeper is slightly higher than your uh, than your hours of work and what you get paid for that that's right yep okay so when does this first phase finish um, so it will run through uh, until the third uh, until the third of January next year so just right at the start of the year we see a change so then we're into phase two so phase two run me through what's going to happen there so that will that will run from 4 January to the 28th of March when um, jobkeeper the extensions due to end mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be a further reduction it will still have two tiers with the same 20 hour working hour test applying measured in the same time generally in February. Um, but the JobKeeper rate will go for full-time people from $1,200 to $1,000 per fortnight. Um, for other eligible employees, the rate's going to reduce from the $750 amount to $650. Right. Okay. Um, and what about for eligible business participants in all this? Because we've so far just talked about our employees, but um, eligible business participants, so they're... They're those people that are actually sole traders or actually involved in running a business through a company or a, or a trust. I think maybe also a partnership, I can't remember. Um, what, what's the rule changes for them in phase one and phase two? That, that's right. So eligible business participants, um, an eligible business can also get JobKeeper payment for one eligible business participant. Um, there, there are a range of requirements to be an eligible business participant, um, but under the JobKeeper extension, the same two-tiered system will apply to the amount that they can receive. So if they've been engaged in the business for 20 or more hours per week on average, and that's measured in February 2020 during that month, then they get the higher rate. Um, if not, then they get the lower rate. So it will be 1200 or 750 under phase one or 1650 under phase two so is that the four weeks prior to one march or is it actually they're looking at what you did in the month of february i mean i suppose it's going to be yeah, about the same but it's interesting that they've just yeah it, it says over the calendar month of february so it's average weekly hours um, but it does say in the month of february so um a bit confusing wording there i think right slightly different now if you're <clears throat> sorry if you're an employer wanting to uh actually get paid job keeper um what are they going to have to do here because previously they just had to nominate which of their employees that they were applying for job keeper for but now it seems like they're going to have to do a bit more work uh yeah so the employer will need to um they'll need to self-assess um, which of the eligible employees are 
eligible for which rate uh, and advise the ATO of that. So they're going to have to you know, assess whether someone is essentially a full time under that working hours test or um, a lower rate of hours to determine which rate or which rate of subsidy that the employer qualifies for for that particular employee. Right, so they, they're actually going to have to have good records there in terms of being able to go back to you know, the four weeks before the 1st of March and, and calculate the uh, the average. So I suppose someone that just normally works full-time and is working a 38-hour week, you don't have to do too much there, you'll just know. But someone that is part-time, you're going to have to go back and if they don't meet that requirement, you're going to have... You know, maybe I've got 20 employees that are, are on the higher rate and I've got 15 employees on the lower rate and I'm actually going to have to tell the ATO about that. That's right. But it's probably also worth mentioning that there will be some discretion for the ATO. Um, we don't have the full details yet, but there'll be alternative working hours tests that can apply where the employees' working hours were unusual during February. So if they were on a period of leave, for example, and they wouldn't meet the working hours test, then potentially an alternative or a discretion might apply to allow them to qualify for the higher rate. Right, okay. Now, what about the rules for employers? So I know that you, as you went through right up in the beginning, you need to have a, a projected turnover reduction of 30% or more for most for most companies, 50% um, or more for, for very large companies. Um, now, are we seeing any change to that turnover test? We are, and it's important to note that original turnover test still must have been met, but it only had to be met once for the original job keeper. So you've met that, you've qualified. There are two additional turnover tests, turnover reduction tests that you need to meet to qualify for phase one and phase two of the extension respectively. Um, and they're a bit different in that they're not, uh, they're not measuring projected turnover, they're measuring whether you've met a reduction in actual GST turnover. Uh -huh. um, the same turnover reduction percentages apply though. So for most, you know, not very large businesses, it will be 30% reduction. So for phase one, um, your actual GST turnover in both the June and September quarters must have reduced by that required amount compared to the corresponding quarter in 2019. Mm -hmm. And then for phase two, not only do you also have to meet June and September, but you also need to meet the same for the December quarter by the same required amount. So, so in this case, so I'm actually looking at my actual turnover for the, for the June quarter of this year and comparing that to the June quarter of 2019. And I have to see a reduction, an actual reduction, not a projected or anything, an actual reduction of more than 30% or more. And that means that I'm eligible under phase two. So we might actually see some employers that projected their turnover to reduce by more than 30% actually now fall out of the scheme from the, from the 28th of September. That's right. Um, and you may have some businesses qualifying for phase one, but then failing to qualify under phase two. Right, okay. Um, it's probably also worth mentioning as well that um, in, in line with existing discretion, the ATO will be able to set out some alternative turnover tests um, where, for example, it's, it's not appropriate to compare September quarter 2020 with September 2019 for a variety of reasons. Right. Now, other than that, I think most of the other rules are the same. So all the eligibility requirements and, and the, uh, the requirement for the, the payment to be made in arrears. So an employer still has to make the payment 
their salary and wages payment to the employee and then they get JobKeeper and arrears. All of that's staying the same, I understand? That's right. So all of those existing requirements apply and we do have an article on the original JobKeeper for employers um, on our site. So all of those rules, um, things like the business eligibility, eligible employees, the wage condition, all of those things, refer to that article for those details. Terrific. All right. Thanks, Tim. That was great. Now, Kim, we're now going to talk about Job Seeker. Oh, good. Exciting, eh? (laughs) Love Job Seeker. Yes. (laughs) Now, um, before, once again, like as I did with Tim, um, for us to really be able to understand what these changes are, we need to understand what, what the government originally announced back in March. Um, when we first saw COVID-19 beginning to spread and, and the government very quickly rushed out these changes, what were those changes to JobSeeker? Yeah, so they, they expanded the eligibility criteria for JobSeeker to make it easier for people who had been impacted by coronavirus to get access. So if they'd been stood down, become unemployed, had a reduction in working hours due to coronavirus, or if they were sole traders or self-employed and they'd get a reduction in turnover, um, they were able to access JobSeeker payment um, under that expanded criteria. And they also gave them a bit more money. So they introduced the coronavirus supplement, which is $550 a fortnight. Um, So that effectively doubled um, the amount of JobSeeker payment that was payable to people. So that was a really important change. And there was also some changes for things like assets tests and some of the waiting periods as well as mutual obligation really, wasn't there? Yeah, they completely removed the asset test, which was um, surprising. Um, And uh, yeah, and they sort of suspended mutual obligation requirements for a number of months. um, And they made the partner income test more generous as well. So the partner could earn more income. However, and there's always a however, some of these things are now changing. So, um, so let's start off by looking at the supplement. So they're changing that, aren't they? And, and when are they going to change it from? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I guess the good news is that they're continuing with the coronavirus supplement. It was um, planned to stop on the 24th of September, um, and they've announced that they're going to extend that, um, but they're reducing the amount payable. So they're extending it until the 31st of December, but they're only going to pay $250 a fortnight instead of $550 a fortnight um, from the 25th of September onwards. And what about... Is there any change to who's eligible for the supplement? Because um, I, it is a defined list. Are they are they contracting that list at all? No, it's the same. So the same Centrelink payments that were previously eligible for the coronavirus supplement, um, such as job seeker payment, youth allowance, parenting payment, Oz study, um, they're all eligible. Continue to be eligible right. for the coronavirus supplement. So, so there's supplement. no reduction. Yeah, so there's no reduction. If you get one of those payments, they're not shortening that list. What about, um, let's say I'm, I'm with an employer and I'm, I'm currently receiving JobKeeper. So, you know, we were talking about that previously with Kim, uh, with Tim. But then, you know, let's say the, the employer doesn't last um, for whatever reason due to the economic impacts of, of COVID-19 and that person actually gets laid off. Um, if they're going on to job seeker after these changes, do they still get the supplement or is it only people that were receiving the supplement before that get it? No, no, everybody, um, whether they're new or existing um, recipients of one of those payments, such as job seeker payment, will receive the coronavirus supplement. Right. That, well, that's good. The other thing, I suppose, the interesting thing about this is you've seen a lot of um, media and press around the difference that that 
$550 supplement has made to people that were previously on the, you know, the old New Start and renamed it to Job Seeker. And the fact that they could, for the first time in a long time, just, you know, they, they could actually afford to put healthy, nutritious food on the table as well as turn the heating on and, and not have to make a choice between the two. So this reduction down to 250, it might be interesting to see what goes, uh, what happens in the longer term, because I know that there's a lot of commentary and a lot of probably pressure on, on the government not to go back to that full reduction. So take away all of that supplement, but maybe to, to leave some of it, maybe that 250 or or less on a more permanent basis to make the the job seeker a more livable type of, of benefit. Yeah, that's right. There has been a lot of press about about the yeah. rate of job seeker payment. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, a couple of other changes. They also announced some changes to both the income free area and the taper rate for certain benefits. Do you want to run through those rules? Yeah, so for job seeker payment and for youth allowance other, um, they, they've changed the income test so that you can earn up to $300 a fortnight um, before the income test kicks in. So um, you can earn $300 without getting a reduction in your payment. Um, and then for every dollar that you earn over $300, it's going to reduce your payment by 60 cents in the dollar. Right. Okay, well, that's good news. And yeah. so what does, that, or what does that all add up to mean? Uh, so it, the design of it is to encourage people to um, re-enter the workforce and so that if they do get a bit of employment income, you know, they're, they're um, still able to get a bit of job seeker payment as well as um, the employment income and it doesn't act as a disincentive, you know, the reduction in the payment. Right. Um, it means mm -hmm. basically an extra 100 bucks a fortnight, roughly, um, that they will be able to, to get because um, it used to reduce their payment by roughly $100 um, more if they right. got income than it will now. I suppose the issue there, though, is you've got to be able to go out and find a job right. and for, for some people in this in this horrible environment at the moment. That that you know, it's it's a nice to have, but some people may not just be able to take advantage of that because they just can't get the the work. Yeah. Um, what about means testing? So we talked about before they got rid of the assets test, um, which was good news, but um, or for good news for some people, um, that's not being maintained, is it? They're reintroducing that, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. So from the 25th of September, um, the asset test will be back. Um, it'll be reinstated, um, as well as the liquid asset waiting period will also be reinstated from the 25th of September. So that's a really important change. Right. So that's interesting. You know, you, I remember that, you know, back in March, all of a sudden, those really long... Um, those really long queues of people outside the Centrelink offices, um, potentially a lot of hospitality or tourism type employees, um, because they waived that assets test, you could have seen someone that, you know, they had maybe $10,000 in the bank or something, uh, and all of a sudden they're made unemployed, but they weren't taking those assets into account. They were just basically getting the, uh, the job seeker payment um, without those assets, but come um, what is it, the 28th September when this changes, um, those people could still be out of a job, but if they've got significant assets sitting in, now I said $10,000, probably, yeah, probably a bit more than a, that, a, yeah. A, yeah, a, a bit more than that. Um, but though they could actually see those people, um, even though they're still unemployed, they could actually see their job seeker reduced down to, to zero. Yeah, that's right. So it's a, it's a, the asset test is a, 
use it, like you lose it or, or it doesn't impact you sort of thing. So once your assets go over the threshold, you get no job seeker payment. There's not, mm. It's not like a sliding scale. Um, so for those clients that have assets over the threshold um, from the 25th of September, their, their payment would be cut off. Okay. And some of the waiting periods, so liquid asset waiting period, um, mm. income maintenance period, what's happening with those? Yeah, so the, the liquid asset waiting period was suspended um, and under those initial announcements, but um, on the 25th of September, it will be reinstated. So people who are applying for payment after that time, if they have liquid assets, will need to um, serve the waiting period before they can go on to payment. Um, but the other mm-hmm. waiting periods are a bit different. So the, the ordinary waiting period, the newly arrived residence waiting period, and the seasonal work preclusion period, they um, have actually they were waived initially and they've been extended. So they're still going to be waived until the 31st of December um, this year. So um, those waiting periods won't impact people until that time. All right. Terrific, terrific. Now, moving on to mutual obligations. So I know when uh, when the changes first were made back in March, um, they got rid of or they suspended the mutual obligation requirements um, to maintain your job seeker. Um, but once again, this is another of the things that are changing um, from 28 September. Yeah, that's right. So initially, um, they suspended all job seeking requirements, but um, they have gradually been bringing back some a gradual reintroduction of mutual obligation requirements, they call it. Um, and so they will expect people to do um, a, a limited amount, but but some job search requirements, um, you know, attending interviews even if it's on the phone um, because COVID-19 restrictions are still taken into account with all of these things. Um, voluntary participation in activities, those sorts of things um, that they they will need to um, meet those requirements. Right. You, you'd imagine they'd have to be a bit flexible with that. I mean, mm. obviously, Victoria currently, um, at the time of we're recording this, is, is in lockdown. Um, that's meant to happen for six weeks. But I mean, who knows, it could be well be, you know, at the time that these changes are coming through that, you know, New South Wales or, or Queensland could be in separate lockdowns because, um, you know, there's been a re-emergence in, in any of those states. So you, you would think potentially the government would have to be a little bit flexible in that situation if, you're, uh, if they're reintroducing mutual obligation and you're actually in a lockdown environment. Um, yeah. How would you be applying for jobs? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they... They are supposed to take into account local conditions and the local local lake market and certainly whether they're in lockdown or um, it, they are saying that they're looking at phone things. So if they can do things over the phone or the internet and not actually have to make physical contact with people that they may have requirements for, to, for them to do those sorts of activities. Um, maybe it's having an interview with their job search provider. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly they need to take into account the local conditions. Okay. All right. Now, I suppose um, a question to to both of you in this situation. So, Tim, we've we've seen this reduction in uh, job keeper entitlements. Um, but if you're someone, let's say, that's been laid off or stood down, um, so you're still employed, but you're not actually getting anything other than job keeper. Now we're seeing a reduction now. If I rewind a little bit there, um, if you are someone in that situation now and you're getting the, the full $1,500 a fortnight of, um, of JobKeeper, that's going to knock you completely out of JobSeeker, isn't it? 
Yeah, in, I mean, in, in most cases, the for an employee, um, the JobKeeper payment would be assessable income for job seeker payment purposes. So you're receiving $1,500 per fortnight JobKeeper payment. That's going to knock you out under the income test um, in the vast majority of situations. Right. So with these new changes coming through for, for JobKeeper, so if I'm someone that's gone from $1,500 a fortnight to maybe dropping down to 750 under phase one or... 650 under phase two if I'm not someone that satisfied that 20 hour average working test. Could I, Kim, could I potentially get a bit of job keeper and job seeker in that situation? Yes, I think you could, yeah. So um, you can earn income up to um, $1,164.50 if you're a single person, um, oh, sorry, if, uh, before it's going to impact your payment. And so if you were only getting, say, 750 or 650 of job keeper then you would still get some job seeker payment right and that would be the full amount of the supplement though wouldn't it yeah that's right they would get the full full amount that's um the coronavirus supplements dropping down to 250 but um from the from september but yeah they would they would get the full amount of that supplement wow so that's actually something that's quite important you might you might have a client that's looking to go for a significant reduction um, but all of a sudden they might be entitled to a little bit of job seeker, but also the full amount of the, the supplement of $250. Mm. Interesting. Okay, well, I think that pretty much sums it up. Now, for those people listening, um, do be aware that we have put out two separate fact sheets on the changes to both job seeker and job keeper, and they're both available on the First Tech website. So if you've got any further questions from what's been discussed here, certainly go and have a look at those articles. Or if you've got general questions about the operation of those schemes, so who's eligible and who's not, um, we've also got those original job keeper and job seeker uh, fact sheets that were put out in March. Now, other than that, big thanks. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.